While there might still be snow in Michigan, but spring football has come to an end at Michigan State, fans and media alike got a good long look at the Spartans over the weekend during open spring practice at Spartan Stadium. We will discuss our main takeaways from the day's events, as well as how it sets the Spartans up for summer and fall camp on episode 76 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Reigning champion Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel with you on Monday, April 18th, 2022. Welcome back, gentlemen. Good to see you. Listeners, uh, you may have noticed we took a week off last week, so apologize if you were looking for a pod, but just not a ton going on last week, uh, slow going on the basketball front and football just kind of the, the, the same day after day spring football. So instead of speculating about what we thought was going to happen during the open spring practice, we figured it would be better just to react to it. So uh, Kyle, Matt, thanks for being here, Matt. How's it going? Good to be back at Spartan stadium. I presume. Well, let me just start by saying I came outside this morning and there was somebody from a lawn company spraying some sort of substance on a neighbor's grass while it was snowing. Uh, if there's <laughs> a more pure Michigan moment than that, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. yeah, the weather wasn't great for the spring game either. That's true. Kyle, you uh, you were all bundled up safe and warm in the press box, I oh. imagine. Uh, I was, yeah. And, and I just, so it wasn't, they didn't even call it the spring game technically. I feel like I realized that like as it was going on, like like they called it like last spring practice. Is that right? Which, which would have been way more accurate for, for what it was. Yeah. I, I just call it open spring practice. Cause I don't yeah. really know what else to say. I mean, I guess you got a little bit of a scrimmage in there, but uh, did I see a couple of your, your beat reporter uh, uh, colleagues there were braving the elements outside, like outside of the confines of the cozy press box. Did yeah. You guys think or something up there? Colton, Colton Pouncey and, and Stephen Brooks decided they didn't want to be around us and sat in the uh, upper, <laughs> the top of the lower bowl in one end zone. I, did not get a firm reason for them why or their understanding. I don't know if they thought they could see better from there, but um, I guess credit to them because it was uh, a little chilly out there. Yeah, not ideal conditions for, uh, what was it, 40s, and you had a bit of a wind and, uh, you know, it's Easter weekend. So, I mean, a lot of things going against Michigan State, uh, you could say, in terms of trying to draw, trying to draw a crowd. I, I was going to bring that up. I guess we can just do it here because I did. People love to talk about spring crowds. Like, like they matter for some reason, you know, Ohio state will boast that they had 60,000 or whatever in the horseshoe. And I saw Alabama had a surprisingly small turnout. And what is it with, with people in acting like how many people attend your spring game is a big deal. And do you think it's a big deal? I mean, go ahead, go. I can tell you coaches care because it's all about recruiting, you know, and it's a huge recruiting weekend for everybody. So if the school you're recruiting against got 10,000 more at their spring game, um, then suddenly you, you think you're inferior and you think all your recruits are going to go to that other school. So that, I mean, I, I think that's how a lot of coaches see it, I, whether that's valid or not, I don't know, but I, I think that's what drives a lot of it personally. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you obviously Mel would have loved it if there were 75,000 people there. Um, the reality is it's, you know, what was it? What was the wind chill in the thirties on, on Easter weekend, you know, <laughs> you're not, you're just not, you're, you're not going to get that at this point. Maybe if you win a national championship or two, you'll fill it up. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the crowd was probably about what I expected, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a few people less, but would you say maybe 15 to 20,000 people there, Kyle, I'm terrible at those estimates. So. Yeah, that was my guess, which like, I don't know, like, like the stadium looks empty with that many people in it, but as somebody pointed out, like 
that's a decent crowd for in like any other setting outside of like major college football, you know, drawing mm-hmm. 15,000 people to watch a practice. So I, I don't know. I didn't think it was a bad crowd. It worked probably work any big as some people wanted, but I thought it was decent. Well, you could fill the Breslin center with a crowd right. like that. So if you look, if you start looking at it that way, uh, I mean, I think it, it, it works a little bit more, so but are you suggesting they have the next spring game in the Breslin Center? This is going to create a few problems logistically for uh, the no, team. no, Matt. I am not suggesting that, but I guess the way I look at it is like you know, it was a huge recruiting weekend for Michigan State. So you're, so you're right about that. I mean, they're the number one running back on campus. They had a bunch of other five stars, four stars. I think two four seven was open openly asking the question if it was the biggest recruiting weekend in Michigan State's football history I don't know about that but you did have a lot of talent on campus and I guess you know showing that the fans are excited in spring is one way to show hey things are really picking up here things are going on and Mel has specifically asked the fan base to show up Um, but once again you have those sort of factors uh, that are working against you that are going to make it tough regardless so I thought it was a decent turnout I I couldn't be there myself um, but I would have liked to have have gone and I'm sure the fans enjoyed just it's always always seems to be a good time if nothing else to bring like the kids out and just sort of give them their first exposure to Michigan State football um so it seems to work well in that way yeah I mean Mel Mel always thanks the fans for for showing up and he he did so on Saturday again you know there was only that what was it the uh was it the Youngstown State game what was the game last year where he called them out publicly and said, stick around next time. I can't remember. It was one of the, it was one of the earlier home games, but I think that's the only time he's, he's kind of uh, put a little uh, elbow in the side of the uh, student section and, and, and try to get him to stick around. But uh, other than that, you know, was Maryland, fun. I want to say that was the Maryland game, but it was later know. earlier in the year. I don't know. It doesn't either way. It doesn't matter. Point is, you know, if, if you keep winning, you'll, you'll keep drawing fans. And, and, and from a recruiting standpoint, yeah, you would have obviously loved to have seen, he would have obviously loved to have seen uh, more people there, but if you get the kids on campus and consult them in your vision for the program and, and what it'll do for them, then that's what matters. How many recruits are really making their decision off a of spring game attendance? I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a college football recruit, but that would seem like a weird thing that would be the make or break for me. But I mean, I'm not a high school kid, so <laughs> who knows? Maybe if you're looking at one score or another, that's the tiebreaker, but you would think other things like, you know, actual in-season success, program culture, facilities, uh, campus, stuff like that would matter I, a little bit more than spring game. I, I think starting now, it should matter even less because the one you left off that list is NIL money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yep. true. Yeah. I, I so, personally have a 17 or 18 year old kid would care more about the money in my pocket than the number of fans and attendance for a spring game, but that's just mm-hmm. me. What did you think about people calling it the biggest recruiting weekend? In Michigan State. Well, I mean, if if they pull a bunch of these guys, if they get commitments from a bunch of these guys that were on campus, then sure. Um, if they don't, then what was it? <laughs> they just had that's some guys matter. there. I, you know, I mean, when you get kids that are there, they, they have to pay their own dime. That's what says something. You know, official visits are paid for and all that. But when they're spending their own money to get up there, um, that says something. So. If that can, if that translates to commitments and a, and a really good class, which they're in the process of building right now, then we can look back and say that was a good weekend. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what they did last summer was um, impressive. You know, when they finally, when it finally opened up, when in the dead period ended, and they got guys on campus, those paid off. So, um, you know, whether you can do that again in this, you know, based on the spring, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if they gain some momentum from the weekend. I know that, you know, there's some stories out there from the recruiting people that Michigan State certainly gained some ground, one recruit or commitment off the weekend. That was Eddie Pleasant, the third from Carrollwood Day in Florida, three-star cornerback. 
ranked as the number 706 player nationally. So uh, just one player so far uh, committing after the spring game. But I mean, obviously some momentum with a bunch of other guys. And as we saw with the guys who were on campus, Michigan State is in play for uh, quite a few pretty marquee prospects. So we'll continue to track that as the summer goes on. But let's get to what was on the field on Saturday at Spartan Stadium. As we've said before, not a traditional spring game. That was mostly due this year to not having enough offensive linemen. They've got you know, four freshmen coming and a transfer. Brian Green from Washington State has reinforcements there. But Mel just felt you know, not safe or smart to have a full-blown spring game with limited offensive line depth. Uh, so basically a 15-period practice, recruits, fans, media getting a glimpse at probably what is standard procedure at Michigan State in the spring when they're going through their practices. Um, got to see a little bit of scrimmaging, some seven on. Um, so, Matt, we could take this any way you want. What sort of were you watching and what was your main takeaway, I guess, from the day? Well, I mean, I, I guess you'd start with the offensive line because that was the reason for the for the setup. You know, that's limited what they've been able to do and adjusted in altered practice all spring. You know, they've had fewer team reps because they just haven't had the guy. So um, there were eight offensive linemen uh, who participated. So you had Nick Samak, Spencer Brown, Kevin Wington, Dallas Fincher, Ethan Boyd, Brandon Baldwin, and walk-ons Evan Brunning and Jacob Lefebvre. So I was just kind of interested to see one, how they would line up left to right um, and how they would fare. Um, so the, Pretty much what the starting group was, was Baldwin at left tackle, Wigginton left guard, same max center, Fincher right guard, and, and Brown at right tackle. Although Brown also got a little work at left tackle. Um, Fincher was at center a bit and, and same Mac at right guard. And we saw Ethan Boyd, uh, Richard Freshman at right tackle. So I see, I would just, I, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock, first of all, in anything you pretty much see on, uh, on Saturday, um, just because it's April and it was a spring practice. Uh, but particularly for the, for the run game, um, you know, given the makeup of the offensive line and the fact that they're facing, you know, a, a defensive line with a lot more experience, to say the least, you know, uh, Spencer Brown and Nick Simak are the only ones of those guys that were on uniform on Saturday who played on the offensive line for Michigan State in the game. So when you're facing a uh, defensive line that has, you know, they're they're so strong at, at tackle, um, you know, the obviously had, a, you know, turnover at end, but with, you know, Petrowski and Bogle were basically your starting ends, that's, it's tough to do. And I, you know, the run game wasn't a big feature of it um, just because of the nature of it. And, and I wouldn't put a ton in it, but we saw a couple of nice runs from Jalen Berger. Um, I, you know, he's a guy that, you know, we didn't record last week, but when we talked to Efren Reed, the new running backs coach last week after earlier in the spring, you know, Mel and, and Jay Johnson saying they thought the running back competition would take a while to shake out and go into the fall last week. Reed was like, Oh, Jalen Berger took a tremendous jump last week. I've got two, you know, I got a couple guys in mind that I think are in line for the fall. So a um, little bit movement there. And I, I don't think that was a surprise at all to see, to hear about Berger. Um, and, you know, we'd also heard all spring, but you know, compliments for Davion Prim. I mean, how much, I don't think the burger thing's a surprise. I think the second he transferred in from Wisconsin, most people thought he would be the favorite to lead the team in carries. Not that that's set in stone or anything. And Jarek Broussard, not even on campus yet, but the prim stuff is surprising to me, Matt. I mean, they, at first I thought it was maybe just guys blowing smoke or motivating, but they continue to talk about him unprovoked. Uh, I mean, we saw him getting some run with, with the, with the, uh, the starters on Saturday it seemed like he was no worse than second or third in line on Saturday. And again, take it with a grain of salt. It's spring practice, but he seemed to be getting work ahead of guys like Simmons and Elijah Collins, which I would never have seen coming. Well, I mean, it's, it's what he's been doing behind 
you know, closed doors that we haven't been privy to see. Um, but, you know, his guy didn't obviously didn't play as a true freshman last year, but, you know, he keeps drawing this praise and, you know, we saw a couple flashes from him on Saturday, but it, it would be, it would be interesting, you know, to see what the effect is if, if he was to, you know, leap up the depth chart again over guys that have led the team in rushing in previous years. Um, and, you know, we obviously know there can be an impact from that, you know, Donovan Eagleman just went in the portal uh, this afternoon. So that's one less, one fewer running back in, in the room. So they now project to have six scholarship backs on the roster by the fall, barring any other attrition. But, you know, yeah, I go back to what you were saying, you know, sometimes in the spring you hear coaches praise players. And I think sometimes it's kind of just maybe a motivation or trying to reward them for hard work or maybe trying to keep them on the team. Um, but, you know, we'll see this fall, but it clearly, I mean, they've gone out of their way to talk about Prim unprompted often uh, a lot, including Mel last week saying that they, he put on a player alert during uh, the team meeting, uh, showing a couple of plays he made during practice. I guess I just think of like how they were talking about like Jeff Petrowski last year, uh, a guy who they didn't, didn't recruit and who was just standing out. And, and I think Marco Coleman has already come out and said, I love Jeff Petrowski. He's my favorite player. I think he said, and that wasn't smoke. I mean, he got on the field even with a deep DN group last year. Uh, and he was playing. So same thing, similar to Cal Halliday, although I think we heard even less about him. And all of a sudden he was just out there in spring practice as the starting middle linebacker. So, you know, coach speak is coach speak. They're going to say things, but I don't, we've seen some examples of this coaching staff, you know, pointing someone out and then them actually getting playing time. So I think we can take them at their word for Prim and it will be interesting to track uh, as fall camp gets underway because yeah, that, that running back room is just juiced uh, and Broussard's not even here. Didn't even mention Taro Joyner. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of bodies back there, which is good, I guess. Uh, they were fortunate to have Kenneth Walker last year, who I think separated himself pretty early on, and they knew he was going to be really good, and they were fortunate they could use him as a workhorse. But there's no guarantee that's going to happen this year. So you might need multiple guys. Uh, speaking of only needing multiple guys, uh, last year Peyton Thorne stayed healthy, uh, surprisingly. Played every game, had a record-setting season for Michigan State, led them to an 11-2 record. Um, he's going to be entrenched as the starter coming in. We saw that on Saturday. I, I think he, you know, the throws I could see, he was, he was pretty on the money and decently difficult, uh, you know, conditions, but the battle behind him between Noah Kim, Hamfey and Caden Hauser uh, is going to be interesting and probably going to the fall. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, if they, if they have a, a leader in the, in the room right now, they're not saying, you know, I asked Mel about it on Saturday after the, after the game. And he said, you know, he doesn't have a guy right now, but you know, we know the deal with the room and, and Kyle actually wrote about it for, for Sunday. So if he wants to, if I can kick it to him, <laughs> if he wants to talk about the quarterback battle. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think there was a whole lot to glean. I mean, if there's a hierarchy, it was basically just experience, you know, the third year guy followed by the second year guy followed by the, by the first year guy, um, exactly. um, which to me tell, tells me nothing. That's just kind of the, the default order. Um, you know, the really the only thing that stuck out is when, um, um, you know, Mel, you at, uh, Matt's the one who asked about it. You know, Mel basically said, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a guy right now. Um, but then when Peyton Thorne was asked, um, he went on about Noah Kim for a while, which again, is probably just, uh, talking up the most experienced guy, the most, um thus far um but then he did say kind of what we expected is Kate Hauser has a lot to learn mm -hmm. um so to me I mean I, I think it's pretty clear Kate Hauser's probably has the most raw talent um but can he catch up as far as a know-how standpoint to be in position to to maybe be that backup or set himself up this fall to kind of be the 
the guy behind Thorne. Um, that'd be my big question. And and maybe Hemp Faye um, gets in there too. But um, to me, it, we, it, the order was just kind of default um, on Saturday. Um, and so I'm not sure I would glean anything. I mean, maybe Noah came in, he's like, you know, clear cut the number two guy right now, but um, I'm not sure I'd draw that from Saturday. Yeah. And, you know, you go back to even Mel's first year, you know, when we were talking about, is it going to be Rocky? Is it going to be Peyton? And he would always go out of his way to bring up Noah Kim, you know? And so, I don't know. It is, I guess, somewhat telling um, just that his name keeps coming up. And like you said, maybe it is just the fact that, you know, it is, you know, he's the most veteran as far as, you know, just uh, age or experience uh, with the program behind, behind Peyton. But yeah, I would say, I would agree with Kyle. I think right now I'd say Thorne one fate, or I'm sorry. Thorn one, Kim two, and then either Faye or or, or um, Hauser after that. But you know, Hauser will have a chance. You know, early enrollee. You know that that helps obviously. But you know, everybody else has been in this system for at least a full season, and he's still catching up. So maybe he can make a big leap between now and when fall camp starts. But you know, that'll remain to be seen. And to be honest, I don't know. Maybe I would almost be surprised if we have a publicly named backup quarterback before the season opener. No, I think they keep that. And, and like, like, like did, did any plays good or bad from the quarterback stand out to you guys on Saturday? Like, I don't remember seeing like, oh, that was a great throw or like, oh, wow, he can't hit anybody. Well, I think I mean, Thorne looked the best, but not from the other three. Right. I mean, from, yeah. from the other three, obviously Thorne's the best. But from the other three, I didn't, none of them stood out good or bad to me, honestly. Yeah. No. I mean, the, um, the best plays were what, the diving catch by Reed at the goal mm-hmm. line. And that was from, that was a throw from Kim. And then uh, Cade McDonald made a nice diving catch. That was a throw from, from Faye. So whatever. I mean, <laughs> it's still April. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We're not going to get any answers on this. And yeah, I don't, I don't know many coaches that come out and name a backup quarterback <laughs> for the media. I'm not sure yeah. that's really necessary. I mean, why would you want to tell your opponent that, but I'm sure Mel would want to have a guy, by the time, you know, um, Western Michigan rolls around next in, in the fall. So because you, you want to know who that guy's going to be. I mean, like I said, Michigan State was fortunate to keep Peyton Thorne upright last year, but a lot of programs don't make it through an entire season with just one quarterback. So you want to know who that guy's going to be that can step in and not have the wheels fall off. Uh, if you're Michigan State, especially with the talented wideouts they have out there. I mean, Jaden Reed, I thought he looked good. Um, clearly the number one receiver, Matt, you just mentioned the diving catch that he made that you know, will get Spartan nation fired up. Uh, we saw Trey Mosley out there doing his thing with his sort of crossing routes in the mid range area. I think he's, we're going to see more, a lot more of what we saw last year, probably with a target increase. And then Keon Coleman was stepping in as the other wide receiver on Tory Foster, not dressed. So he was the other guy we saw making an impact last year. Um, so th- pretty clearly your top four receivers there. Would you agree yeah, I mean, I read Mosley are your clear top two after that. It's is whether it'll be Foster stepping up or, or Keon Coleman moving in that role, which we saw him with the with the ones on, on Saturday, and then you know, you know Terry Lockett and, and Christian Fitzpatrick and Jeremy Bernard's a guy to look out for, obviously as an early enrollee. But you know, I kind of I was I thought it was interesting on on Saturday after the game when when Peyton and, and um, Jaden were up at the podium and and. Thorne went out of his way to say, you don't, you guys don't know, like he played through injury all of last season. He was talking about Reed and, you know, saying that, you know, he thought it affected him, you know, a little bit as far as just now he's more himself, he's more back to full speed. Um, So, I mean, given what we saw and his level of play last season, if he was truly playing hurt the whole year, I I guess that says something for him and it only increases expectations for the fall. 
I'm really curious to see where the, I mean, this is a conversation for down the road, but I'm really curious to see like what the preseason teams look like at wide receiver next year or this year, because I mean, we know Ohio state's got a guy, we know Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be one, but you know, there's some good receiving talent. Michigan's got Ronnie bell coming back. Uh, there Penn state always seems to have a guy Parker Washington, if it's someone like that. So I think they got Mitchell Tinsley, the kid from uh, Western Kentucky, um, uh, Purdue with Milton Wright coming back. So a lot of wide receiver talent in the Big Ten, so I'll be interested to see like how they kind of stack up, at least from a preseason standpoint. Not that that matters how they perform during the year, but I think Jaden Reed has an excellent chance to to really be the star on this Michigan State team this year. After he was somewhat overshadowed by Kenneth Walker last year for obvious reasons, but Jaden Reed, I mean, we saw in the Peach Bowl, um, you know, amazing plays. We saw the big catches against Michigan. We saw the punt return against Nebraska um, and Western Kentucky. So very dynamic player that I think will probably get a lot of headlines, at least early on for Michigan state. Maybe Peyton Thorne can take another step too. So that remains to be seen, but let's flip it to the other side of the ball, Matt, uh, which position group caught your eye there? I was looking because that, that that's uh, Ben Van Summeren coming back now. We just got word. Um, so that's the second linebacker depth piece that was in the transfer portal that is now coming back to Michigan State. And it looks like for last year, not even having enough to have a spring game uh, with, with um, Darius Snow mixing in at, at linebacker. Uh, it looks like one of the deepest positions on the roster now. Yeah, line. I mean, it is funny, the difference in a year. You know, you go from having a really – veteran loaded offensive line to not even enough guys to have a real spring game. And, and you go from having not enough linebackers and cornerbacks to have a spring game to now, you know, the both rooms are pretty, are pretty well stocked. So yeah, linebacker cornerback were, were definitely things I was looking at. I was, uh, I mean, you noticed, I guess it wasn't a surprise how much they, they rotated at, at linebacker, bringing guys in. Um, you saw the, you know, there were times where they had three linebackers on the field with one of them, uh, you know, lined up on the edges is a rusher. I thought that was interesting. You know, it's really like, so Amir Speed and Marky Lowry were your top two corners, which wasn't a surprise because Ronald Williams wasn't um, able to, wasn't participating. We saw him at practice last week with a cast on his hand. Um, I would, you know, he should be a guy obviously in the fall that gets a, a lot of playing time, but um, I don't know. It's, it's how they are able to match up personnel wise. I think in the fall, that's really interesting with Darius Snow being a guy who's got starting experience at nickel and safety. And he's now, at linebacker where, where Scotty Hazleton said, thinks that's his best fit. I mean, and it is kind of, you know, nickel is a hybrid position. So he has that experience. It's like, so if you go, so Chester Kimbrough is your starting nickel with the ones, if I remember right on mm-hmm. Saturday. So like, if you're facing a team, basically that's, you know, I think, Oh, geez. I don't remember Darius, I think was talking about it on Saturday. You're like, so if you got four wide receivers out there, you're probably going to go small at the nickel spot. You bring in Kimbrough who's, you know, he started what 10 games at corner last year. But if, you know, you get a, you know, a bigger team, you know, you got two tight ends and you probably bring in snow as a nickel and he's basically a third linebacker. It's just, I'm interested to see what they can do matchup wise. Now that you have these guys who have more experience in the system, you know, obviously at corner, you know, they basically revamped the room last year and they were learning on the fly. Now they all come back. You add speed to the group and linebacker. You've got these returners, you add Brulee and Winman. Um, you got guys who can rush off the edge in that group. And then snow is kind of, you know, where, where do you put him type of guy, but they're going to obviously want him on the field probably as much as you can. Yeah. And we saw women or snow get involved with the the strip sack and then uh, women, the scoop and score, which got the crowd going for a little bit there. But it's like, I always find it funny at spring games when the crowd's cheering for things and it's like, Oh yeah, it was good for one side of the ball, but it's bad for the other. Like, <laughs> but I guess fans just like to see big plays, but 
I think it's going to be fascinating with this linebacker group, how they're going to get them all in there. Um, and then you convince Ma, uh, now Teote and Van Summer are both coming back now. So that gives you like, what, like six viable middle linebackers, seven if you're including Darius Snow. Uh, I mean, I guess you can mix and match with, with the smaller uh, lineup, like you mentioned. But I guess that gives them more versatility, which is not bad, which is not a bad thing because – Last year, they felt a little bit with the lack of depth. They felt like they were kind of just stuck with what they got. And even though the corners were getting burnt because of injuries, they tried to put new guys in there, but there was no consistency. Maybe now they can sort of mix and match based on the team you're playing, like you said. Um, that would give them a little more versatility on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, we talked to Scotty Hazleton last week, and you know he's coaching linebackers now again. Uh, and yeah, he said that basically they're not looking to create pairs. They're not looking to pair you know one guy up with another and like you know do you know have those guys specifically on the field together. He wants everybody to be able to go in whenever they want and, and play. And they're trying to cross train everybody except for um, Brule is the will and uh, women's at Mike. So other than that, and, and we saw that on Saturday because they had, a, they were shuffling guys in and out and, and using them in different ways. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, I guess, you know, a much different situation than last year when you went into the season thinking, all right, so it'll probably be what Crouch and, and Harvey and then, it ended up being Cal Halliday and Crouch. And, and, you know, it was, uh, you know, Cal was obviously the surprise last year. Um, and now, you know, he comes back after a freshman All-American season and, and they bring in two guys from with a ton of experience as transfers. And now that's even, you know, it's more competition, obviously. Kyle, did you have any other observations or? No, I think, uh, I think Matt pretty much covered it. I mean, like I said, it's, I mean, what do they have specialists playing, you know, uh, on the offense at some point? I mean, it, it was all, um, I mean, it was fun to watch and there were some things to glean from it, but, um, anybody who, um, who watched it from on and you know that, that there could be fools hold out there. So, um, I, I think we've covered what takes there are and, and don't want, don't want to go too far into this. Otherwise we're talking about, um, Damien Terry is the next starting <laughs> part. And start. are, you, are you suggesting that Hank Pepper, Steven Rusnak, and, uh, oh man, who's the other specialist that was out there lining up as the mock, uh, receivers will, will not be in those roles in the fall. Uh, I would be surprised. Okay. I guess I'll take your word for it. Well, I guess I'll scrap that spring depth chart topic that I had written down here. No, <laughs> um, I still can't get over Brandon, Wright Going from running back to defensive end. Like that is one of the most amazing like flips I've ever seen. And he keeps, he gets some shout outs too uh, yeah. from, uh, from, from coach there. Yeah. Scotty um, brought him up last week and you know, it, I mean, it's a guy that, you know, what well, so this would be, his second year at it, if I remember right, and I am confused all the timing, but I mean, it is an interesting go jump going from, from running back to defensive end, but he played defensive end in high school. So it wasn't completely new to him. Um, now playing it at the big 10 level, that's, that's quite different, but you know, we saw a flash here and there, especially in the peach bowl, you know, he had what was it two sacks he had in the peach bowl or a second and a half, whatever it was. So, you know, if you can bring him in as kind of a specialized edge rusher, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't expect him to be out there playing, you know, 75% of the snaps in a game. Um, but, you know, if you bring him in the right situation, get him off the edge, then yeah. It's like, I think this guy was saying, like, you know, it's just knowing where to go. You know, he can get there fast, but it's getting to the right place fast. And you add in the, you know, the effect of working with a new defensive line coach and working with, uh, you know, Brandon Jordan as a pass rush specialist and should be intriguing. 
him and uh, Justin White at corner, you know, they're, they're like the the rabbits of the defense, the speed rush group. Bring them in when you need a sack or something uh, in sort of specialty situations. I could see that happening. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can just cut it off there. I mean, no need to go along when we don't need to. Like I said, basketball pretty pretty quiet right now, Kyle. Right? We don't have a whole lot. I mean, we're waiting on an assistant coach. We're waiting on commits. We're waiting on transfer portal news. Um, but it's been remarkably quiet. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the assistant coach has got to be near the top of that list. Um, we're waiting on Joey Hauser to make a decision too. too. Um, he's still, um, kind of outstanding. I'll point out Matt and I, uh, we'll talk about this today. So there's actually a deadline this year, the end of next week, you've got to be in the portal by, um, if, if you want to, uh, not sit out a year, so which is going to be the case for, for most guys. So, um, there are some deadlines coming up, um, you know, Joey Howard is going to have to figure it out. Um, and, and we'll have that. So stuff will start moving, but yeah, a little bit slower than, um, than I expected some of this stuff to be going. And for the fan base, those of you that are freaking out a little bit right now, just take a deep breath. It's April 18th. I know that the deadline transfer deadlines coming up and, and whatnot. And you want to see who the coach is going to be to sort of get on the recruiting trail there, but just give it time. I'm sure that the wheels are turning there in the basketball facility. So I'm sure we'll get news here before we know it. And probably some transfer news here. We, we always seem to get some transfer news for football after the spring games where guys kind of uh, get to see where they are in spring practice. So as we mentioned, uh, Donovan Eaglin already out of in the portal today. Um, so uh, that will probably continue as the summer goes on, but we'll stay on top of all of it. Uh, as I've said, um, now that spring practice is done, a little bit more sporadic of episodes probably, but whenever hopefully we get some basketball news here, um, we'll jump on for a pod and sort of talk about how it affects the team. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the Spartan Confidential Podcast. Appreciate everyone for listening. So from Matt Wenzel and Kyle Austin, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you once again for listening to the Spartan Confidential Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And don't forget.